Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, episode 81, the double review for Brightburn and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Southeast and West, and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, the Hypersonic 55, and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion. And yes, as you heard at the start of the episode, this is going to be a film double for the superhero horror film Brightburn that came out last week and the recently released Godzilla King of the Monsters. Now, these are two films that I have been looking forward to seeing for a long time now. Brightburn because of the interesting trailer and concept obviously being very similar to the origins of Superman but also you have Godzilla King of the Monsters sequel to the 2014 Godzilla film which I quite liked and obviously with the trailer for that film being pretty damn spectacular especially with the introduction of additional monsters and a really good cast I'm, I was hyped man it was a really good time for me because I thought after Avengers there was nothing but then I forgot about John Wick and then I forgot about Brightburn and then I forgot that you know Godzilla was around the corner as well so I'm like yo man we're actually starting to get into that you know summer film season man's is hyped so yeah originally these reviews for these films were going to be separate but due to scheduling conflicts and some other palaver that goes on in life as usual i had to you know see these films within a short space of each other and then this decided you know what screw it mash them together because yeah why not um so with brightburn i have a fair amount to say about it but not nearly as much as godzilla so it will probably be a short review for brightburn and then we'll get into the thick juicy stuff that is Godzilla so yeah without further ado let's start with Brightburn okay so now it's time to talk about Brightburn and as I said beforehand I was very much looking forward to this because I remember when the first trailer for this film showed up in December 2018 and I was just like yo what is going on here at least from the initial part of the trailer I'm like is this some kind of joke it looks just like the Man of Steel film from the way in which the font is, the way in which the trailer was constructed and the visual imagery. I'm like, mate, you guys are proper just ripping off Man of Steel right now. And I find it hilarious. But then the film just takes a shot left turn. And I'm like, oh, damn, this is starting to go into some Dark Man territory. And I'm like, okay, you have my attention, Brightburn. To see that it was produced by James Gunn, but also worked on by his brother and cousin. And you had, I think it's a first time director in the form of David Jarofsky, at least I hope that's how you say his name. I was very much intrigued because if DC haven't got around to making an Elseworlds slash alternative reality where we get to see evil Superman, then yeah, sure, I'll take this substitute. That's fine with me. And the subsequent marketing after that had always had my interest. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm very much interested to see what a young Superman would be like if he decided to become corrupt at the younger age and then just, you know, decided to start killing people. So, yeah, I remember watching the film earlier on this week and I thought it was pretty interesting. So, as per usual, with these reviews, we'll go through the plot, go through the characters, presentation, and then go through the overall conclusion. So, without further ado, let's jump in. So the story for this film can be described as the following. It is essentially, you know, the origin of Superman, except if he decided to turn bad at an early age. And that's about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, okay, so we need to go into a little bit more detail than that if you're not overly aware of the Superman origin story. Because there are a lot of similarities to it, but this film does do a few things differently here and there. Anyway, so to give you a little bit more detailed version of what the story is about, essentially you have this couple who can't conceive, and one night where, while they're, you know, trying to make out or whatever, a big old space pod falls from space and lands in a field not too far from their house. They find a baby in it. They decide to raise the child as their own, and for several years they're having a good time raising this kid. However, at the age of 12, he starts to discover that he has abilities that makes him different from the other kids. And through a series of events, he starts to become a little bit evil, a little bit corrupted, and runs around starting to perform these crazy acts of murder and killing and all this other sort of craziness. So it's about how he starts to deal with his new abilities and the problems that it causes for his family and how they choose to deal with these situations. And that is the best way for me to describe this story without going into the area spoilers. Now I will say that I enjoyed the story of Brightburn quite a bit. There were some interesting things that they did with the story and the characters. And while it doesn't reach its full potential with the story, I still think it was captivating enough to watch. Because I think the greatest flaw of this film is that it is fairly predictable in the sense that the story beats are stuff that you've seen in previous films beforehand. Certain things play out exactly how you expect them to. And yeah, there are certainly surprises. But for the most part, the film sort of plays out in a way that, you know, you, you know what's going to happen, especially if you know your films. However, that being said, getting from point A to point B is still a good ride. Even though I was able to, you know, guess where the film was going, it was still pretty interesting to see how we got to that point. And there are some interesting twists and turns here and there. There are some points where the film zags where you expected it to zig. And uh, especially towards the ending, that, you know, took a turn where I was like, oh, okay, you're going in this direction. I, I can see why you did that, but that's that's fine, that's fine. But yeah, some of the stuff I did enjoy about this film is that they set up some interesting uh, lore and mythology, and there are some great moments of tension, mystery, and, you know, is it just some really interesting reveals, which is pretty good. But another issue I ran into was that this film introduces some concepts or story stuff or things to do with the character that just aren't fully capitalized on. There's some family drama stuff that doesn't play out as much as I would like it to and there's certain key aspects that this film introduces, whether it's subtle or overt, and they just never come back to it. So there's certain things that this film introduces which it feels is important to, you know, present to you, but they don't come back to it and I'm just like, why introduce that at all? Or, I wish you at least spent a little bit more time on this so that when we got to this point in the film, this made a little bit more sense. And I'm not saying that everything in films needs to be, you know, fully clarified. Some ambiguity and mystery is always welcome. And I do like to interpret certain things, but when you present something that has a certain level of significance and it's supposed to make sense in a certain way, you need a little bit more context, you know? And yeah, this film does an interesting balancing act of giving you this story from the kid's perspective, you know, seeing how he has to, you know, navigate this world, navigate his new abilities, and then see how he, you know, sort of, uh, 
essentially uses his powers and uh, how that influences his uh, you know personality and whatnot. But then on the other side of it, you have the family drama as the parents. They spent so much time with this kid that they are emotionally invested. So when all this bad stuff starts happening, they have to try and rationally deal with this situation while, you know, being conflicted about it at the same time. And some of that stuff is handled really well. Some of the emotional stuff you can, you know, uh, you know, engage with. But some of it's just not handled in a very smart way. Some of this stuff is kind of, you know, silly or like, you know, was it just not handled in the best of ways and with a little bit reworking it could have been really really good and I've seen a lot of people like you know criticize a story for certain things and I've heard on certain podcasts certain things that I was you know I had issues with or nitpicks about which I wasn't sure about have become a little bit more highlighted now but again watching the film was still fairly interesting and I found it captivating to watch so it's a it's a story that's like you know a little messy in execution but still worth a watch in my opinion so when it comes to the cast i believe that most of the people did a pretty good job especially when it came to the family the main star of this film is elizabeth banks though as tori Breyer. she was so good elizabeth banks has been one of my favorite actresses since i saw her in uh the sam raimi spider-man films and uh she was really good in this you can see that she was giving her all uh, as this mother who really, really cared about this child, because obviously she has like you know a special attachment to him more so than the father does. So when she's trying to like you know is it deal with these situations, you can see the conflict, and you can see when she's trying to like you know is it put herself in a state of denial just because like you know is it she loves this kid that much? Banks killed it in this film, and then you have David Danham as like you know Kyle Bryer, and he was pretty good. I thought he did well in his role, but I didn't like, you know, was it get as attached to his character as much as like, you know, was it uh, Tory? And then you had Jackson A. Dunn as Brandon. He was creepy as hell. At certain moments, I could like, you know, was it engage with him, and I thought that he was pretty good. But when he starts to go into his weird, like, you know, evil psychopath mode. He has such a creepy expression on his face. For the majority of the time in this film, he has a very stoic slash emotionless look on his face, which already makes you detach him from like the rest of the human race. But when he starts to go into that evil mode, good gravy, man. He's just, he's uncomfortable to be around. I just don't like looking at his face. So he can play the, you know, dodgy side of himself pretty well. With his character, I feel that the film wanted us to, you know, relate to him and, you know, feel for him so that when, you know, things went bad for him, we'd care. And sometimes it worked, but other times you could tell that this guy was just an evil little punk from, like, you know, day dot. So it's kind of hard to, you know, emotionally feel for the guy when you know that he's, just, you know, a little creepy. So when he does go bad, it's like, yep, I kind of knew it. Your face says it all, <laughs> and it's not like a knock on the actor, it's just the way in which the, I guess, the script was done, really, but yeah, he, uh, Dunn did a pretty good job, and then there was a whole lot of other people in this film that had, like, uh, some pretty good appearances here and there, and they contributed to the film, you know, a decent way. I would say that there was one cameo that I didn't expect to see, but it was pretty good, and I was very happy with it. So now it's time to talk about the presentation, and yep. Yeah, these aspects of the film were done pretty well and I think beyond like Elizabeth Banks is like you know really good performance I would say that it was like you know the highlight of the film visually this film was very impressive the way in which uh, the shots were crafted were very well done the 
horror aspect of this film with the gore and the visual effects for that kind of stuff when it comes to the makeup and stuff. Whoo! Gosh. Now, as you guys know, I don't do horror very often. I only check it out if there's, you know, certain film actors and actresses or, like, you know, directors that are behind it or there's a certain amount of hype behind it that I'm going to watch. So... I'm pretty desensitized to most forms of violence just because I've seen a lot of it in various different types of films. That being said, this film features two moments of some of the most cringe I've ever experienced watching, you know, horror in action. Um, both of them relate into the face. I will not say what they are, but when you see them, you'll know. One of them has, you know, one of the things I absolutely hate when it comes to, like, you know, is it body horror? And I'm just like, oh... I almost turned away, but I was fighting through my squeamishness. It was awful. And then there's another one where it just lurks on it for so long. I'm just like, oh, why would you do that, man? Ugh, grim. It was awful. So, yeah, you know, was it the horror stuff was handled pretty well. This, this Brandon dude in his weird alien form, he messes people up left, right, and center. They get wrecked is awful but is really well done um and i would say the music by timothy williams is pretty effective as well helps enhance the film while you're watching it nothing overly memorable but it worked within the context of the movie so in the end we come to the conclusion what i think of brightburn i thought it was pretty good all things considered like i said before the story doesn't capitalize on its initial concept as well as i would have liked and with you know just some tightening up of the script and like you know was it uh handling better of some of the aspects to do with brandon's transition into being dark man psychopath running around killing people it could have been handled a lot better because I, I could see the elements it just didn't come together in you know a fully formed way that being said, I still found the game engaging, you know, quite scary and freaky and, you know, the tension and mystery worked when it did. Elizabeth Banks was great, really solid film, and if they decided to make a sequel or, like, you know, to expand this world, I'd be very interested in seeing what's going on. I would definitely give this a watch. It's a very nice alternative to the normal, uh, you know, array of superhero films that we have, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. So, without further ado, we're going to move into the territory of Godzilla. Now, here's the thing, man. I've been waiting for this film patiently for five years. Like the David Bowie song. And, like, uh, it's, it's really hard to wait that long for a sequel that you've been craving for. You know what I mean? But these things happen. And there was, you know, a whole load of palaver that led up to this point. So before we get into the review, because I have many things to say about this King of the Monsters film, I'm going to give you some background detail. Now, Godzilla is a long-running franchise that's been around since 1954, with many sequels ranging up to almost 30 now, I believe. Well, it's more than 20. I can't remember the specific number off the top of my head. But yeah, we have numerous films that were made in Japan, and we have, right now, three American versions. Yeah, the 98 version that not many people like to talk about. Yeah, not many people like to talk about that one at all, even though I've seen that film many, many a time because that was probably one of the, if not my major introduction to Godzilla. So I didn't know much about it. I was eight years old when that film came out and I lapped it up just because I was on that dinosaur high from like, you know, two Godzilla, no, sorry, two Jurassic Park films before that. But anyway, um, then there was the 2014 edition, which 
I know a lot of people like to poo-poo on, and, you know, for, you know, good reasons. The film heavily advertised, you know, the return of Godzilla, and heavily advertised Brian Cranston, and, you know, we barely got any Brian Cranston, because he was basically killed off in, like, you know, the first 15 minutes of the film, which knocked the wind out of my sails. But also, you had little to none Godzilla in the film. He was in, like, maybe one-tenth of the entire, like, you know, film's runtime, which is crazy, but... I still appreciate that film for what it was trying to do. It was trying to emulate the uh, feel and tone from the original 1954 version, and in that, I believe it was able to create a great sense of suspense, tension. And I believe that Gareth Edwards, even though he could have done with a little bit more of Godzilla in the film, I believe he did that tension and atmosphere really well. The soundtrack by Alexandre Desplat, at least I think that's how you say his name, was fabulous. And when Godzilla does show up, and he did the business, oh, good gravy, set my soul on fire. I see it in IMAX, and that was delightful. So, yeah, I still have quite fond thoughts on Godzilla 2014, even though the story was, like, you know, man, like, you know, the character stuff wasn't as captivating as it could have been. But anyway, after that film, I was hyped for a new Godzilla film. Give me more, please. But then I found out, one, that we weren't going to be getting the sequel until 2019, and I'm like, ugh. Not the winds out of my sails again, mate. What's wrong with you? Now I can understand. They had a reason for it. Basically, in 2017, they were planning to go back and release Kong Skull Island and then do Godzilla again. And then in 2020, release the whole remake of the Godzilla vs. King Kong thing. And I'm like, great, but why do you have to make my boy wait so long? And here's the thing. Kong Skull Island was alright. It had some decent stuff in there here and there. And it built out this sort of monster mythology a little bit more and the ties to monarch was pretty decent but still i'm like oh it's just it's not godzilla though and i know there's a lot of people that like uh, king kong and they might just be you know beefing me in the comments but i'm like i'm sorry man king kong he's a big monkey he's cool but he ain't godzilla so i'm like oh man the wait for godzilla was painful so by the time we got to 2018 i was thinking yeah, you know i am still looking forward to this film it doesn't have gareth edwards anymore it has this like you know michael Dorothy guy and I was like I'm not really familiar with what he's done uh, but then I looked him up and I was like oh so he's the guy that did Krampus and I'm like mm, I don't know about that and you know his writing skills with uh, Brian Singer on X-Men 3 which I like but then Superman Returns which I wasn't overly keen on so I'm like mm, I'm not sure he's the right choice but then they revealed that first trailer at Comic-Con I believe it was last year along with their trailers for Aquaman and Shazam and of those three the Godzilla trailer was perfect it featured a uh, classical piece of music put to the visual imagery in the trailer and it was just wonderful a perfectly crafted trailer or at least as near perfect as you were going to get it had all the returning monsters it had a unique and diverse cast of notable upcoming and presently well-known you know uh, actors and actresses it looked great and while the subsequent trailers I don't believe have been as effective as the previous ones just because I feel like they've done a little bit more of that annoying thing that some trailers do where they cut the music and action to you know the music and sound effects and it's just really annoying especially that over the rainbow one I'm like you're missing the point it's not just about like you know having fancy music in the trailer it has to be artistically done I don't think it was as well crafted as the first one but anyway I'm getting off topic 
with that first reveal trailer, I was like, yo, I'm back in, I'm hyped as hell, give me this film. So waiting for this film has been painful. Luckily, I've been given, you know, some really nice film experiences over the course of this year with How to Train Your Dragon 3 and, like, you know, Avengers being able to, like, you know, quench the thirst of film that I needed so badly. But yeah, King of the Monsters is out, and yo, I like this movie. I like it a lot. Now, I know before the film came out, there was positive word of mouth, which sort of turned into mixed, you know, turned into a mixed reception before the film came out. And I'm just like, oh, that sucks. But this is one of the sort of films you really need to see for yourself because your enjoyment will be purely based on your personal experience. So with all that out of the way, what I'm going to do as per usual is I'm going to talk about the plot, talk about the characters, then talk about the presentation, and then give you my overall conclusion. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to jump in. So the plot for the film can be summed up as the following. This film takes place five years after the events of the last one, and it features the continuing efforts from Monarch, the secret organization that monitors and researches or the kaiju, or in this film's case, Titans, checking out their movements and then trying to determine which ones are hostile and which ones aren't. And in this film, Monarch are coming under fire and pressure from the government to cease their activities and reveal the location of these monsters so that they can be taken out by the military. But Monarch are, you know, basically just not backing down. And they believe that some of these monsters can be used to protect us. And through a series of events which involves a certain person using a device to awaken one of the ancient monsters, it comes down to Godzilla and the help of certain human individuals to combat this ancient monster alongside these other rising kaiju and sort everything out and bring a balance to the world before everything basically goes to crap. And that is a way for me to sum up this film without going into the area of spoilers. So with the story, I'll say this. As it stands, it's solid. It's nothing overly significant and a good few of the story beats you'll recognize from other films and you'll be able to predict where the story's going. But I did appreciate the larger sense of scope in terms of this feeling like a more global based event. The extra mythology that they were able to create for these monsters the ties to the last film and also the references to the original Toho films which were really really good. So one of the things I really appreciated about this film was how it attempted to basically justify its existence and create a little bit more substance. I liked how they brought up themes about nature and the natural order, evolution and extinction and how the scientists likened the monsters to animals with habits and hunting patterns. All of that stuff was pretty interesting and there were some really cool and interesting aspects to the story and dialogue and I really wish that with all that stuff if they had fleshed it out a little bit more or had a script that was a little bit you know, better written, some of this stuff could have felt like it had a little bit more urgency and felt even more relevant to the plot than it was and it would have been a lot more captivating because there are some really cool ideas and aspects to the stuff that these guys are going on about that again if it had been written a little bit better it would have felt a little bit more integral so you would have you know paid attention to it more because I feel like some of these fine like details will go over people's head and they'll just be like where's the monsters at I'm here to see the monsters and definitely the monster action in this film is there in a far more significant amount than the last one, which I think will please a lot of people who are disappointed with the last one. But at the same time, this film is trying to give you a story that you're supposed to care about. And it tries, but just doesn't do it that well. And 
I believe it's just down to like some of the characters just not being written with a you know certain amount of depth and like I said before some of the story you can predict there's stuff that happens in this film which you've seen in numerous other films before especially if you're you know well versed in you know your film watching experiences and as interested as I was in some of the stuff that happened again I could see you know just a better film being done had the story been written in a different way but beyond those sort of nitpicks I'd say the one other aspect of the story that I really enjoyed was the fact that there were so many visual and verbal references to the original Toho films. If you know your Godzilla lore and know your films, the amount of references in the film, whether they be subtle or overt, they were so good and I found myself just grinning like a little nerd, just be like, oh look, they got this, they got that, oh look, that's a great callback and I was just, I wanted to make noise in the cinema but I was just like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, you know, I was like, oh look, they did the thing. <laughs> But yeah, the references in this film were much appreciated, really good, and they were very welcome, very nicely done. Alright, so when it comes to the cast for the film, I thought they were pretty solid. I believe that this cast was a more captivating and interesting cast than before, mainly because, like I said before, you have a collection of well-known, established, current and upcoming actors and actresses here and there who, you know, people recognize from film and TV. And I believe that, you know, they were working with what they were working with. But I think that they all did a fairly decent job, although some do stand out more so than others. So let's start with uh, Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, and Millie Bobby Brown as Mark Russell, Emma Russell, and Madison Russell. Essentially, they are the core of this film in terms of their family dynamic. They were part of, like, you know, an incident that happened in the past, and so their family's a little fractured, and because of some of the events in this film, it brings them back together, and they have to, you know, basically get into a whole lot of this palaver. And I thought that their connection was pretty strong. I believe that Farmiga and uh, Bobby Brown had, like, you know, a really great, like, you know, connection, and so did Chandler to those guys as well, and all of them had like you know really good interactions Kyle Chandler is just one of the sort of guys that I like to see in films ever since I've seen him in Super 8 he's just shown up in a number of things and he's never disappointed me he's always just a solid actor and in this film he did a pretty good job of being this sort of um, doctor who is into animal behavior and communication specialist kind of stuff and yeah he did a good job in this film Vera Farmiga She's been one of my favorite actresses since I saw her in Up in the Air, and she did a really good job in this film as well. Her character goes through a pretty interesting, you know, uh, journey in this story. I sort of saw where she was going. It was sort of unexpected at certain points, but for the most part, I could predict where it was going. So she did what she could with the material, and she was good. But I actually think the main star was Millie Bobby Brown, and I'm not just saying that because I love the hell out of her in Stranger Things. She was just a really good, captivating person who acted fairly well when she needed to she brought the emotional material and she was this interesting glue that held a lot of the film together um she was great and i really liked her in this movie you know um on top of that you had the return of sally hawkins and ken watanabe and yeah they were about the same as they were before their roles had i guess a little bit more significance considering some of the stuff that happens to them in this film but yeah they did what they could with the film and I thought they were fine and then you had Charles Dance as Colonel Alan Jonah and here's the thing 
If it was played by any other actor, this role would be insignificant. And to a degree, it is sort of insignificant because he has a role to play in the film, but it's just not really super memorable. But it's memorable because it's Charles Dance. He's been one of my favorite dudes to see in film and TV since I saw him in Last Action Hero. Yes, that's my first appearance where I saw that guy, and I've never forgot him. He was pretty good, and he's just good in his Charles Dancey kind of way. And there was an appearance from some other people here and there who just helped contribute to this film and fill out the cast in a pretty decent way. But now it's time to talk about the main attraction, the main reason that people are watching this film, and that is for the presentation. And ladies and gentlemen, this film was fire. I hate to go about and use that like uh, current lingo that kids use, but ladies and gentlemen, it was pretty damn cool. Uh, this film visually was damn impressive. And the 2014 film was already a fairly visual impressive film. The only problem was that I believe it lacked a certain amount of color. It was fairly dark and it had a lot of muted colors, save for certain specific instances here and there. But this film definitely changes the color scheme. It definitely takes away from the more realistic and darker setting of the 2014 film and takes it into the more bright, colorful and... I guess more fictional setting that Kong Skull Island introduced in 2017. This film has color all over the place, not only because of the different kaiju that are running around, like, you know, using their abilities and popping out of all these different places, but also because of some of the locations as well. You have some really strong reds and yellows and blues and greens. And um, yeah, there's a lot of blue in this film, several different hues of blue, but it's all used in really effective ways. The special effects are Fap. For the most part, the CGI looks really good. There's a great amount of detail on all the different creatures, and you have a lot of detail and time spent with Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidorah, and they all look great. Now, obviously, we've had this new version of Godzilla for a while, so seeing him back again in the flesh is great. I feel like they've given a little bit more time and detail to, you know, his face. Because we get a lot more close-ups on his face than we did in the last one. But seeing Rodan, Mothra, and King Ghidorah recognized in this sort of new CGI update after seeing them in for years in, you know, suits and stuff, and, like, you know, the CGI from the Japanese-like side of things, they look really, really good. Uh, and the way in which they tussle, they fight, you get to see tail whips and moving heads and lightning and atomic breath and the little web stuff that comes out of Mother and Rodan flying all over, bloody hell, it's intense, some of that stuff is just pure filth, old school kaiju on kaiju fighting action, it's freaking sweet man, it's, it's so cool and there are some there's definitely some crowd-pleasing moments for if you're like, you know, a long-term fan of this franchise, the action holds up incredibly well. And just some of the different environments that these guys get to fight in um, is very nice. There's a nice sense of variety to the different locations, whether you be on land or sea or in the air. And the sense of scale, which I thought might be gone because the trailers made it seem like uh, the characters move a lot quicker wasn't lost in this film the sense of scale was still really good characters still move in that slow bellowing way save for certain moments where you know if you're a character like Rodan where you're flying around obviously you have a little bit more speed but luckily the monster didn't feel like that horrible switch between Pacific Rim 1 to Pacific Rim 2 where they all move so quickly and it just doesn't feel like they have that same sense of weight and heaviness that they did in the uh, 
in the previous one. So this one was really good. The only issues I had with the film was sometimes the CG looked a little blurry and I've seen this being a complaint online which I have to sort of agree with now. I wish the film was a little brighter or just took place in the daytime. There's a handful of scenes that do play, take place in the daytime but it's normally covered over by really thick brown darkish clouds and some of these fight sequels that take place during the night, oh my gosh, they're good, but sometimes you can barely see what's going on just because it's so dark, especially when you get underwater and you see some of these guys tussling. I'm like, what is happening here? I can sense something's going on, but the screen is only flashing a little bit of light for me here, there, and everywhere. So it's not exactly easy to see some of this stuff during some of the nighttime sequences, and I wish that there was a lot more daytime scenes just for us to fully appreciate what these characters look like in natural daylight. But moving away from the visuals, you happen to have the film score, which is done by Bear McCreary. Now, I was initially disappointed that Alexandre Desplat wasn't coming back to do the film score because I thought he did a pretty good job with the last one. But Bear McCreary, he's definitely started to jump up in terms of his notoriety, in terms of his uh, compositions for film, TV, and video games. There's a lot of people going on about how great his work was in uh, God of War, which I haven't played yet, which is still on my uh, you know wish list at the moment. But I am mainly familiar with his work from The Walking Dead and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I believe that, especially when I was still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. consistently, his work on that show was pretty good and definitely helped elevate some of the uh, more action and uh, dramatic-based elements of that show. So I heard some decent things about what he'd done with this film, but my gosh, when you see it, it's so much more than that. Ben McCreary, my god, this dude is godly. And I don't know where this man's been hiding, but he needs to be put on more films. His film score for this film was really, really good. I love what he was able to do to create a film score with a sense of gravity, a sense of purpose. When it shows up, you pay attention. And he does this wonderful thing with uh, the vocals. He has this sort of vocalist choir that accompanies the uh, composition that he does, and it's so good. It has a sense of impact in like oh gosh during some of those um monster introductions or the moments before a battle goes down or when a battle's happening or some like you know emotional or triumphant things happening his music is insanely good it is heroic and badass and all sorts of amazing but the cherry on the freaking cake is the fact that he was able to incorporate the themes from the original Toho films. You get to hear new compositions of the OG Godzilla theme and the Mothra theme and oh, it was amazing. Oh my god. Now, I haven't been this giddy since uh, Michael Giacchino was able to incorporate the 1960s version of the Spider-Man theme song into the introduction of Spider-Man Homecoming. But yeah, it was that kind of feeling. For someone like me, who knows their source material and knows like these, uh, you know, notable original theme songs, to be put into a current version, and it still sounds just as good as it did beforehand, but with a modern sound to it, oh god man! Oh, mate, heart attack. <laughs> it was good. It was so good. So now it's time for the conclusion. What did I think of Godzilla King of the Monsters? Well, I actually thought it was a pretty good time in the cinema. Now, I will admit that 
there's certain aspects of the story that just weren't as captivating as they could have been and the characters don't have as much depth as I would have liked so obviously when the film wants you to try and care about them it's not as effective just because they don't have they're not really three-dimensional that being said when the film works it works so well the visual effects on display are so good the color palette is great and you have so many shots from this film that you could easily turn into posters or it's sort of the kind of stuff that I'd like to draw at some point uh, I believe that the cast were pretty effective at what they were able to do with the source material that they were given the monster fights were excellent and the ties to the original films but also just seeing these monsters clash and fight it looked great and obviously like I said before the film score by Bear McCreary was so good baby oh so yeah if you're a fan of kaiju based films I would urge you to go back and give this one a watch it was a lot of fun and it sets up a lot of interesting things for the future now I will say this there's aspects of the 2014 film that I kind of missed with this film in the sense that I kind of like that slow build up towards the you know reveal of Godzilla sort of like how you had you know with Jaws you didn't see the shark for ages but it was all about the anticipation leading up to it and I know that you know there's loads of people online that's given their opinions as to why you don't need to build up to Godzilla because there's how many films from before and that's not how it was done in the uh, you know Japanese films and all this other sort of crap so yeah you know your enjoyment of this film will you know depend on what kind of you know Godzilla fan you are whether you like the originals or whether you like the new version or whether you didn't like the new version but wanted something else everyone has their own sort of thing and some people can't be helped I've seen a lot of people you know take a poo-poo on this film because it's uh, you know more action spectacle than anything else but for me the film works and you know as a comparison between like the last film and this one I kind of like both for different reasons there's a lot more about like I think the last 2014 film that I like more so than this one but this film has a lot more elements that I liked over the other one so yeah it's sort of yin and yang balances each other out but yeah that's about it so what do you think of Godzilla King of the Monsters let me know in the comment section below and also what do you think about Brightburn did it meet exceed or like you know fall beneath your expectations let me know I need to know, so holler at me in the comment section below, or holler at me via the email, thehypersonic555 at gmail.com, or holler at us on Twitter, where I'm at hypersonic55, or at filmfocus55, and yeah, check out the SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, the Facebook page as well, I would love to have your support, and that will bring another episode of Film Focus to a close, thank you for listening as always, and until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic55, signing out, peace.